the starting lineup for your Gangsters, what's up guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I'm Jed Sprague, here with my co-hosts, Evan Fagundis. Hello. And he's my son, and he's also my brother, my other co-host, Mr. Chip. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and this week, we have the versus of the ages. It is Gone Girl versus Chinatown. I feel so gross after watching these two movies. But before we get into talking about these movies, gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing great. Uh, thank you for not slapping me through the Skype screen when you referred to me as your your brother and your son. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm doing good. I just finished reading Heat 2, guys. And let wow. me tell you, a must read. The, <laughs> down to the final sentence of this book, Michael Mann crafted something special. Uh, in between that, watched a couple of really good movies, prepped for some other pods. Football is here. We're in a postseason. We're in pennant chases left and right. I'm, I'm not in a pennant chase, but other people are in pennant chases left and right, so I'm enjoying the thrill of that. Life life is really good right now. Oh, amazing. Evan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, too. Um, it is really hot in California right now, but uh, you know, luckily, as I think I mentioned before, I live in the Bay Area, so it's like the one part that's somewhat bearable. Um, it's not getting above you know, like low 90s here. Um, so like we went to, uh, the first, the Cal home opener football game, love getting outside. Um, like you mentioned, Chip following other teams, none of us at the moment are in those races, um, us as players or our teams. Um, and, uh, but yeah, just good times. It still, it still feels like summer. How are you doing, Jed? I feel like you got some, you're on the, you're on the edge. Yeah, I'm on baby watch, but if, yeah. funnily enough, I've never been more relaxed because it was a crazy busy summer and I'm finally home this week for good. Like I won't leave my house until I probably go to my parents' house for Christmas. Um, so I'm excited to just like hunker down after not having been home for two weekends in a row since like the middle of June, mm-hmm. I'm going to be home for three months. Um, so very excited for that. Very excited to settle in. There's something about the fall and movie watching too, it just really like kicks into gear. I think when you get done with dinner and in my case, putting the baby down and it's dark outside, you're just like, you know what? Let's fire up a movie. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, let's sit outside and chat. You know, it's like, it's dark. Let's fire up a, a movie. And uh, <laughs> I'm really excited, um, you know, to, to dive into a bunch of movies with, you know, no work distractions. Um, this fall that paternity so, leave is pretty gnarly yeah it, it hits different bro it hits different but on the back end of it straight up like coming back to work after being off for three months is one of the most jarring experiences of life it's it's kind of like mm-hmm. summer break but even worse because like summer break you had like summer reading and stuff mm-hmm. like this is straight up you forget how to do your job and you got to relearn it all over again um and being in sales like me, there's uh, numbers to be hit and not a lot of pipeline that was generated while you're gone. So <laughs> capital, your capital F fucked, but you got to enjoy it while it lasts. Not a lot um, of passive growth. That's tough. Speaking of capital <laughs> F fucked, uh, some characters in these in these films. <laughs> uh, often I start these 
podcasts, these verses with a question of like, why did we choose these two movies? And God, you know what? I've been hating myself because that's lazy podcasting, just asking the same question over and over again. So I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way to make it sound more interesting. What do these movies have in common, Mr. Chipman? What oh my gosh. do these two movies have in common? Uh, these movies just believe in like the fall of humanity and in just the concept of total depravity. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this, but um, just the, that man and woman are completely and totally evil from the beginning. Um, they are beyond redemption. And uh, we just get to watch that on screen for these two movies and watch these characters unwind and make bad decision after bad decision at the expense of themselves, at the expense of others. And redemption really doesn't occur in either of these movies there's there's not a happy ending uh to be found i would argue it's so funny because you mentioned all those specific things that is also how i felt watching the cast of don't worry darling uh at the venice film festival this week just making bad decision after bad decision um you know and and their their characters uh continuing to slide in the in the public eye um, so maybe the timing of us doing this, uh, these two films is just, is, uh, it, I can't wait for the don't worry, darling podcast. Oh my God. You're going to, you've, you're, you've already pre-reclaimed it. You're ready for it to be a masterpiece. Yeah. It's, it's, it's already a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, Evan, what do you think these two movies have in common? Or actually, I'm going to ask you the opposite question. Where do these movies kind of veer apart from each other? Where do you find the dip, the biggest differences in their themes and, and what they're trying to say? Hmm. So about their themes and what they're trying to say, um, I, I don't know. I was thinking almost more of just like the storytelling style. I, I feel like they differ in how they they both have like a central mystery. Right. And, and like uh, an anxiety at the center of this mystery that we kind of have to solve. And in one in Chinatown, we don't have to get too much into the story. Um but it's it's constantly unlocking clues and, and kind of not knowing what's next. In Gone Girl, they show you what's next right in the middle of the movie, and mm -hmm. then and then the mystery is is how it concludes. But it takes a turn that's that's very like unclassical. Whereas watching Chinatown feels a little bit more classical in that like detective solves a mystery type way. Um, I don't know what that says about their themes necessarily. I, I feel like we can get into that a little bit. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Um, but it definitely feels like it's like a new age take on a very similar idea. Yeah, I think that Chinatown is is interested in the literal Chinatown, in the physical location of Los Angeles, and kind of what that produces and the characters that kind of spring up from this from the soil, right, and from mm -hmm. the uh, the watered or sometimes unwatered soil of Los Angeles. Whereas Gone Girl, I think, is more about uh, a little bit higher concepts of marriage and fame and celebrity. Um, you know, Gone Girl's more interested in I think 21st century themes, and Chinatown's it's it's Chinatown is like about the fucking, you know, Western expansion, Louisiana purchase. Like this is old school American shit it's getting after. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I think it is true. But it felt it, like watching this again. This is the first time I've seen Chinatown in such a long time. It The story feels so modern. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in 2022, you plop down and, and like the central theme being like, oh, how are we handling the water in Los Angeles? You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, 100 like, right. that rings so true to this day. And I think you could you could plot that story, you know, in this. It, 
I think the best way to put it is like the themes of both of them are timeless, but the lens that they're looking through is very much um, through the eras that they're trying that they were being made in, mm-hmm. which I think you could say about a lot of things. But you also have two directors who I think are both a little depraved, um, both a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Evan, what was that face for? I don't know. We're just I don't want to lump them too much just because. <laughs> Because of the the reason for us saying that, but that we, we can give some context. I, I think, I, yeah, okay, that's true. <laughs> I I don't want to I don't want to just bury my boy. No, but it no, but in the in the like yeah. in the it, from the sick and twisted mind of version of yes. what we're talking about here, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not who they are as like actual people. I don't right. want to correct, them in, but as as filmmakers in the in the way that they portray society and and mm-hmm. some things like I think you can make parallels for sure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you, yes. you would agree? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the defining qualities is specifically for these two movies too, like Chip said, is just like a lack of redemption. Um, it, I mean, you could argue that it, they're, they're almost nihilistic in a way. And, and I think they both kind of tuck enough underneath their movies, um, especially in the way of just like providing laughs here and there and, and kind of poking fun at these ideas that, um, that maybe you wouldn't have to call them like full on nihilists, but I, their mind, their 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 characters' views of the world seem to be very similar. Yeah, um, I think the other thing maybe to to double click in on before we get into the verses where I think most of the conversation will happen is two very important movies for two very important leading men in like the history of Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Uh, I don't know. I would love to hear your like compare and contrast, um, you know, between Affleck and and Nicholas and and their characters in this because I think there are some, like, I watching them back to back. It made me think there were more similarities in in their characters than than I maybe would have thought going in. Yeah, I like the use of the word nihilistic. I think they just are also both sarcastic and jaded people. Um. Especially so. So we get some like non-sarcastic and non-jaded Affleck towards like the beginning of their romance with uh, with Amy, some meat cute stuff. But by the time they're five years in, they they're cut from the same cloth. You know, I think of the way that Nicholson says, um, no, really, at one point, like he's got like this really sassy quote. Mm -hmm. um, And that's just like, oh, that's something that that Nick would also say or that Mm -hmm. Nick would kind of echo, you know, the way that he's kind of blowing off the investigators in the crime lab as they're dissecting his marriage. Like, you don't know your wife's blood type. It's like I could see Nicholson responding the same way to those questions. So um, it's interesting that, you know, kind of these ideas of men and their response to changes in the world around them and accusations is kind of the same, you know, 40 years later. Um, it's interesting that Affleck is is obsessed with Chinatown. Both Fincher and Affleck are kind of obsessed with Chinatown. They're both kind of working on different projects related to, you know, the original story behind it and the filming behind it. So there's some cool uh, common threads that run through there as well. I just want to say before we hop in, because I feel like now's the time. Chinatown is unfucking believable. And I think we've been well mm-hmm. on the record of like how good Gone Girl is, and we're going to find out when we put these things together. But I don't know why I forgot just how an insanely credible Chinatown it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how it, 
yeah, and we'll get more into when I, we get into story and stuff. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there from the top because I think it's well known how much we love Gone Girl, and I want to put it out there how much we also love Chinatown as. A film. Yeah, and and like for people to watch it too because it's really entertaining. I, I feel like Chip mentioned that a little bit earlier, and like what you're saying, Jed. I feel like you give that reaction to a movie from 1974 when it's like it still plays really well in our mm-hmm. 20. 20- 22 minds i honestly think the only thing that you would do in a modern like a, a modern rendition of it differently is maybe more music in the beginning like it would be there would be more score like less full silence but i don't think i think everything else like the dialogue is modern the act like the performances are are like sufficiently modern the story feels like sufficiently modern it's it's mm-hmm. pretty incredible how well that holds up which i think just points to what we love about movies from that era you know like a, you know, taxi driver or, you know, throwing it back to Scorsese is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when those themes and the way those movies are shot and those stories, that's like, you can almost trace that back to the beginning of like true modern movie making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough twists and turns to hold a modern audience's attention in Chinatown. You know, you think about how uh, a lot of Netflix shows and movies are just kind of modern stuff that gets pumped out. It's like, oh, we need to have something crazy happen every five minutes or mm-hmm. else people are going to be on their phones. Not everything crazy happens in five minutes in Chinatown, but there's enough like deaths. There's enough uh, character reveals and drops that, yeah, it's going to hold pretty much anyone's attention a really decent amount. Yeah. All right. You guys want to get into the game? Let's do it. Yeah. For those of you that don't remember, uh, this versus game is a, a lovely and arbitrary game that we made up long ago to determine objectively, not objectively, what the best movie is. So we're going to be uh, giving points on different categories. Those categories are story, sound, cinematography, acting, overall feel, and legacy. Uh, Five points for the first few categories, story, sound, cinematography, acting. Ten points from each of us for overall feel. And a ten-point consensus, uh, basically bonus points, uh, on the legacy category. That gives a total potential points of 100. Uh, And we'll see if one of these movies is the first to ever get a perfect score. I think if there ever were two movies that had a chance, it was it was these. So uh, excited to get into it. You guys ready for uh, for some scores? You're 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 setting the stakes high. Let's see if we can live up to it. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's two fives off the top for story for me. Um, absolute no brainer. I think. Uh, let's start with Gone Girl. I was I did not read the book before I saw this movie. Um, I think when I saw this movie, it was probably my. I didn't see it in theaters. It would have been maybe like around Christmas time, my after like my freshman year of college. I was playing a lot of FIFA in those days. That's what I remember. Because I took a break from FIFA to watch Gone Girl. And I think at the time it was the scariest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. As a young, <laughs> as a young man, you know, mm-hmm. like very interested in, in uh, young women, uh, the idea of like somebody that you think you know and like just because you maybe stop paying attention to them and you don't invest in the relationship like turns into an actual psychopath. Um, really terrified me. Uh, and my jaw was on the floor uh, when they cut to her voiceover, Rosamund Pike's voiceover, and it was like uh, about, you know, faking her her death right after the reveal of the shed with all the credit cards or with all the stuff that was bought on the credit card. So I think that will never not hit me the way it did the first time I, I saw it. Uh, and then, of course, just the, the twists and turns. And I, I think this movie is like a chess match. Um, between it's i don't even think it's between affleck and and pike it's between 
it's between Pike and the events that happen, you know, out maybe outside of of everyone else's control, right? She may, it's a, it's like a watching a wild animal, uh, hmm. you know, do whatever it has to do to survive, uh, and and there's consequences to every decision, and and you really feel that, um, and you almost I think in the times when she's you know being held by by Desi, uh, you know, by Neil Patrick Harris, I mean, who wouldn't feel trapped uh, being with Neil Patrick Harris? But uh, <laughs> I think those times you you feel really like almost sympathetic for her of like fuck okay like you know maybe this was not good but like did she deserve to be like with a stalker now and and then seeing what she does to get out of that um and then you like the way they flip your not your allegiances but your the trust of the characters and your care for the characters is pretty amazing and then like you we talked about chinatown we got to preface the the game with this and it's like what other movie can hold your suspense on like five different storylines at the same time <laughs> you're kind of I think there's like you almost forget about the water aspect of it for a little bit when you start to get into like the familial aspect. Um, and some of the reveals are just like jaw dropping and horrendous and gross. And then, man, I mean, talk about we talked about the end a little bit already. But the worst part about the end for me is uh, is the dad just kind of grabbing his I guess his daughter granddaughter combo. Yeah. And like basically kidnapping her as she's like screaming and everyone else is just so like shocked and like desolate about what they just witnessed that they don't even have the capacity to react and and deal with that situation. And so you're just kind of left with this feeling of overwhelming, overwhelming emptiness and and um, despair. And Mm -hmm. I think it's like I can't imagine like and we talked about this a little bit with Taxi Driver, too. I can't imagine what that must have felt like at that time movie making like how crazy that must that ending must have felt um but yeah fives for me it was very easy sorry i know i rambled on a little bit rambling is good rambling is good i'm gonna cut in and go next year um just with that ending in chinatown it's five off of that alone every single time i'm hoping faye dunaway actually kills him right i'm hoping that faye dunaway aims her gun a little bit better just shoots sean houston through the heart through the head whatever it takes to just get this evil off of the earth um and it it never happens um and she's the one who ends up dead at the end of the movie and it's it's the greatest closing line in movie history forget it jake it's chinatown it's memed to death but it's so simple and that's what really works it's simple it's catchy it's memorable it might be a cliche there's a couple of cliches that run through the movie but for the most part it's kind of like defies cliches at times almost i don't know there's so much excellent writing that elevates above kind of the detective noir tropes and cliches that you might um, automatically associate with it but it is a really messed up story but it's really powerful um i think maybe the best choice the movie makes is that the drought never actually ends uh i was watching another la drought movie uh, a cinderella story um and at the end of that movie um, Hillary Duff is kissing the high school quarterback and the rain opens up and it's like, okay, fine. The the drought in LA is finally over and we can all like heal and move on. Uh, there's no rainfall in this movie. Uh, like at one point you get a little water rush out of a pipe, but that that's about it. Like, <laughs> like I'm sorry, but this drought is going to keep going on for a while. This is why you tune into Flicking and Screaming is because it's the only movie podcast that will compare a Cinderella story uh, with Chinatown. That's right. That's right. That's quite a double feature. Um, so that's a five. Gone Girl is also a five, 
I just love how complex and twisted both Amy and Nick are. They're both ranging from psychopathic to sociopathic at different times. Sometimes it's stronger. Sometimes they're more human. But they're just really fucked up people. And, like, sometimes fucked up people deserve each other. I think Tyler Perry's character says something similar at one point. Like, y'all are both weird and wild. But, like, I guess it's a good thing that you're together. Because who knows if we just loosed you onto other people, what would happen? Actually, we do know what happens when we loose you onto other people. Uh, people die. Is what happens when Amy Dunn is just free to run around in the wild, or or Nick is left to his uh, his own devices. Things don't do, don't go great either. But it's a really great use of flashback all throughout the movie. Whether it's flashing back in that central cool girl monologue in the beginning, or it's flashing back to those initial times of their relationship. Again, how how fucked up is Fincher to like do such cute like meet and greets, like meet meet cutes with Amy and Nick at the beginning? It's actually adorable. The sugar storm. That's like, you, you don't find romance movies, like traditional romance movies, with scenes that good. And that's how good Fincher is, is he can put that in there and then shit on it, right? Um, it, it's it's really pretty unbelievable. Um, I Sometimes I wonder if the story drags a little bit between the when she checks into the hotel and when she gets back with NPH for a little bit. Um, I, but it's, it, that's no, a nitpick. That's, I think isn't it's that still when Tyler Perry enters our lives? That is when so okay it's it's strong from the Nick storyline during that mm-hmm. stage when Tyler yeah. Perry is there I almost feel like you could cut like one hotel scene like maybe the pool scene I don't know but then there's there's some important dialogue in the pool scene and then she spits in the Mountain Dew like when there when she's like oh I I do I do I found a read on the movie this most recent time where there's a little bit of like class warfare stuff going on um, and the woman that she meets in that kind of trailer park that little hotel is like this rich bitch, you know, like what are her problems? What's what's her big deal, right? And Amy's like, no, I'm a victim. I'm a victim, right? And she she doesn't know how to like react to that. And again, she spits in the Mountain Dew. She kind of defends herself. Um, but I found that pretty interesting. And I don't, it's not fleshed out really in other parts of the movie. Like obviously they go through financial trouble, but it's not as if they're, than talking to someone of a lower class who the recession hit a lot harder. Like, they lose their jobs and they move into this, like, giant home in suburban Missouri. Like, that's still not a cheap place that they're living. They can still go on plenty of spending sprees. Mm-hmm. They're not having to resort to robbing people um, mm-hmm. like our friends at the, in, in the trailer park hotel golf course are. So um, I think that that's just an interesting idea that maybe could be played with a little bit more, but maybe makes that scene unskippable. But I'm going to give both the stories five. Sounds good. Evan? Yeah, so first off, I'm going fives all all, all the way across. I really appreciated everything that you guys said. You said so much of it. I'll, I'll just add a tiny bit. Chip, I will say, with the Gone Girl, that section at the at the hotel leading up to when she meets Desi at the, um, uh, like, what, casino? Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. she, like, in the bar of the casino. Like, the tenth time you watch this movie... I did have a thought of like, oh, is this only in here for the plot device of her losing the money so that she has to go to Desi? You know what I mean? Like, I was reading reading into it a lot, and I think you're right. They do save it with some of that that, – just kind of like more – bringing that that class stuff to the forefront because it is something that kind of undertones the whole movie. Um, But in Mm -hmm. that moment, you do have a character actually saying it directly to Amy – um, and kind of addressing some of those, like, uh, um, just feelings of victimhood that she does have, it, it seems. Right. But 
the so with Gone Girl, I love the way that they cut this movie because if you think about it, the whole middle stretch of the movie is basically just people talking to people. There's really not that much going on, but the way that they play up the flashbacks telling the story along with the treasure hunt going on is just like really cool. It makes it feel really really snappy. Um, honestly, some of those scenes almost remind me a little bit of like a Sorkin script. Um, and, and it's funny that Fincher might've picked that up a little bit. I'm not, exa- I'm not exactly sure. You know, like, I don't know how many of the conversations come directly from Jillian Flynn's book, um, but really cool there. And then the only thing in Chinatown that I wanted to mention, and, and I think it ties to story is like how amazing the um, Giddy's character is Jack Nicholson's character. I, I just love that they make the type of movie that we watch, like with the Maltese Falcon, but the main guy is just not like Humphrey Bogarts in yeah. Maltese Falcon. You know, he's like, he's not really upstanding. He cusses at people. He tells dirty jokes. He yells at like the beautiful woman at the center of this movie and storms off like multiple times. He's not really playing those like, you know, tit for tat games that a Humphrey Bogarts is in, in Maltese Falcon where it's sort of like, yeah, he's being mean, but it's all like part of the game. Like Nicholson's guy is actually just kind of a dickhead. Um, yeah. And he's a, he's a liar and a cheat. Um, but I, I just love the way they weave him in. Yeah. Dude, I love when he's laying in bed with her after sleeping with her and he's just like, why, why are you keep, why do you keep talking to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pillow talk for, for yeah. Years. And then right after that, she's like, are you going to come home? And he was basically just like, I'm tired. <laughs> what an <laughs> asshole. Um, yeah, absolutely insane. Uh, I think we can't understate how amazing it is, uh, a movie that starts in a private investigator's office, right? Oh, yeah. Just great, just great stuff. It starts oh. very similarly. Like, yeah. my assistants stay here. Yeah, exactly. Tells the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, all right. Perfect scores all around. Let's move on to sound. Uh, Chip, you want to kick off this category? Yeah, I'll go solid fives across as well here again. Um, obviously, Ross and Reznor, I really just like modern day titans of music kind of in general, but especially in the film industry and like their partnerships with Fincher have been incredible all the way around. The fact that they can do this and Social Network and Mank, um, just well, uh, hitting every corner. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a scene like when she like the scene where she slits neil patrick harris's throat how loud it gets and just how much it builds and throbs in your eardrums especially if you listen to this with headphones you almost have to take them off um because it just ratchets up and up in frequency and in like depth of this this blaring horn string i don't know what it is it's probably electronic um but i think i mean that's to me their greatest achievement in a Fincher movie is just just that one scene. I think is is a five alone. Um, and then Chinatown, these really tragic horns and strings that kind of are the theme of the movie that play you know a couple or three times. I love that. I love when a movie or a TV show kind of returns to uh, one one note or a series of notes that become its kind of defining theme. Um, and I think that that you know we talk about this movie is modern. I think it's it's modern, but those horns are very old school, and that really does place it in that 70s kind of classic golden age Hollywood kind of moving into something new. Um, but I like that. it's it, it doesn't make it feel dated so much as it makes it feel like important and of like such an incredible time for movies. 
Yeah, I mean, in many ways, like, Chinatown, obviously, it's set in the 30s. It feels like a movie that could have been made in the 30s or 40s. Like, mm-hmm. it really does, um, with a lot of the decisions they made. Uh, we have said that Chinatown feels like it's been made in the 30s, feels like it's been made in the 70s, feels like it's been in the 21st century. Like, that's, it's so everlasting. It's, like, beyond space and time. Yeah, it's time. It's that's timeless for sure. Um, Evan, yeah, I got fives as well. Uh, for Chinatown, those trumpets are just incredible. It, it is the perfect mix of like that throwback, but it has the sexiness that the horns used to have, mm. but it also has like a uh, an anxiety to it. Or, or mm. it, it's sometimes like the trumpets hit a little bit too long or go a little bit too loud. Um, and I feel like it can it can almost be a bit upsetting. Um, really love the really love the music. It, it kind of makes me miss scores like that. Like I, I don't know, there's something about it that I'm just like, there's no way a Netflix movie could make a mo- like could make a movie with a score like that. It would just be like laughed off the face of the earth. But I would like to see somebody do it well. Um, and then Fincher, uh, I mean, the the Gone Girl um, with Reznor and Ross, I just think they do that, like, electronic hum, anxiety-producing, like, pacing score just absolutely perfectly. And, and Chip, like you said, that the moment in, in bed with Neil Patrick Harris is just, like, it's legendary stuff. It's, like, one of the, the best examples of, yeah, of, of, you know, amplifying action with, the score the mm-hmm. way it drops out when she actually slits his throat and like mm-hmm. it, builds, it builds to the tension then disappears yeah it's incredible um i mean i also i also have fives for both of these movies um quickly because i think you guys covered most of the points chinatown uh uses silence to great effect as well mm. it doesn't overdo the score which i think makes those moments um where it really like returns to the theme and it ratchets up the tension and the mystery Right. You when you get those moments, you're like, oh, shit, like something's about to go down. You know, Uh, I think the movie also gets progressively more musical throughout, which I think is an interesting choice. It was like it's almost like as the tension builds, as the mystery unfolds, so does the score itself, which is really cool. That's Um, a good note. Yeah. And Gone Girl again. I mean, what are you going to say? I think with Fincher movies, um, the score is like another character. Mm-hmm. they're not the same like it's it informs so much about what you're looking at on screen and gone girl's no exception and i think the partnership that he has with uh, resident ross is like gonna go down in history as as like one of the greatest of all time so, i really love like how much they use like actual percussion and like a beat you know mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. yeah uh, absolutely. something so like driving about mm-hmm. it like you said it's like yeah. anxiety in, inducing it's just it's the type of, I mean, this is not a short movie by any means, mm-hmm. right? It's two hours, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I watched this this week late and I remember making the conscious decision being like, oh, maybe I'm going to pause it halfway through because I, you know, and I'll go to bed and then I'll wake up and I'll watch the rest tomorrow. I, you can't turn it off once you start it. And I think part of the reason is because the music just has you in such a state that mm-hmm. you can't, you can't possibly leave or look away yeah. on screen. How about the fact that in Gone Girl, everyone's voice almost sounds like they're doing like ASMR? Yeah. You guys notice that? Like they, except they, for Tyler Perry, which is the funniest part. Which like, that's true. He's like in a different movie, but in like a great way. Like he's because mm-hmm. he no, kind of comes out of a different world, right? He comes out of like big New York, and like everyone's yes. telling him these things in these like hushed tones, and he's just like, 
<laughs> you're fucking kidding me. Like he's like, yeah. Yeah. He's like yeah. this bitch is crazy. You know, it's not. It's, that's exactly yes. what he does. That's incredible. And he yeah. always has people there. There's always action around when Tyler Perry's on screen. When almost anyone else is on screen, there's just no action. There's no sound. Like outside of a couple of scenes, it's literally just people talking to each other in what seems like the quietest town, you know, in the Midwest. Um, it, it's really funny. It's so it's such an interesting choice. I, I think about his the use of Perry in that movie often, and I think it, you're right. Like it does kind of slide into sound. Um, all right, perfect scores still. Let's go into cinematography, uh, Evan. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of hard not to. So definitely a five for Chinatown. Definitely a five for Chinatown. Um. The way he uses different lenses, um, the way he uses glass, and I know sometimes they're like maybe doing some type of post-projection type work, but still the way he just uses surfaces and positions the camera in a way so that you can always see multiple things happening. I, I think often of that shot of Nicholson sitting up on kind of the top of that um, like runoff when, um, what's his name, Crawley? is uh is sitting waiting for the water yeah and and it's just like it almost seems kind of comical how well they're able to situate it so that you're seeing nicholson sitting up high and somebody's standing you know 85 feet down below you're also seeing with a similar focus it's just like really amazing um the way he kind of like swings out the camera uh to look into a side view mute side rear view mirror um things like that are just are just amazing and then that handheld shot at the end is like talk about accentuating one of the best endings of all time like that that shot is amazing it turns into like a documentary for mm -hmm. about 25 seconds there right at the end of the movie um and then gone girl like fincher's just one of my favorite people with the camera because he is so clinical right like we were just talking about scorsese and not long ago we talked about tarantino and the camera can sometimes be hectic in a way um and and fincher is not doing that as much outside of a scene like, like the Neil Patrick Harris scene where he gets a little bit more edity, yeah. but, but as far as the cinematography, it's pretty static. Um, and, and he just shoots the inside of a room during a mystery about as well as you possibly could with those blues and grays. Yeah. There's something about his camera that's so sterile and it matches the, the movies that he makes are about people that are like sterile or like standoffish. And it just, like, works so well for, like, creating this entire yeah. environment of, like, a, the world through the eyes of, of Fincher. Like, I think about that all the time when I think of Social Network, right? That move, The way that movie looks and the way it, like, the way it's shot and then that reflected with Zuckerberg's character is just an amazing. It's amazing. Fincher is very obsessed with the details, uh, and his characters in, in his movies are obsessed with the details, or his movies are, at least. Sometimes the characters are oblivious to them. Um, but he, he wants you to see them. And I should have mentioned, it, it is a five there as well. Yeah, yeah I kind of I kind of picked up on that. I, Context clues. I, I almost I almost docked, docked it, but it was going to be for the wrong reasons. It was going to be because he's not as flashy. I was going to say, I'm thinking of Scorsese, he's so fun with the camera, right? Like, I wouldn't say Fincher's necessarily fun, but he's, like, perfect. Yeah, I think Chinatown. So I have fives for both of these as well. Um, Chinatown, for me, uh, what it does with camera movement is something that I don't feel like you see 
a lot in that era of filmmaking. The other thing it does is it, it's got this interesting way of once you are settled into a scene and settled into dialogue, then the camera starts moving. It's not moving in every scene. It's not like moving all the time where it's like predictable. I think the scene where he goes and sees um, the guy who's the deputy of the water department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we start like we start as he's standing there. The camera's still. The guy walks into frame. The deputy walks into frame. He kind of gets positioned where just barely his shoulder is out the whole time they're having a conversation, but we're like fixed on, on Nicholson the whole time. And then we're like 30 seconds into this conversation. Then the camera swings around behind the deputy's shoulder and catches the other angle. And it's just like, Oh my God, like this is, it's incredible because you think you're in this static place where the, the people are going to be moving. And then almost as the conversation becomes like more interesting, we then shift perspective and like draw ourselves in um, with the camera. So I, I just found myself like basically doing the the Leo meme pointing at the screen like, oh, 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 like mm-hmm. so many times watching Chinatown last night. And I was like, oh, my God, look at him. Look at him go. Um, yeah. So fives, fives across the board for me. Uh, yeah. Insane. Absolutely. Fives across the board. Um all the lenses that he's using, like you talked about, Evan, in Chinatown, where like an interior shot can be huge and you can see like top to bottom ceilings, right, mm-hmm. in someone's living room. But it can also be really close if it needs to, right? I love like the shadows inside the private investigator office, inside Giddy's mm-hmm. office, slanted and diagonal and mysterious and, and just cutting and bleeding into these characters. And the ending, again, I'm going to come back to it, right? These characters are so brightly lit against a pitch black sky. Mm. It's really crazy, the contrast between the colors there. Um, and it it plunges you into something different. Because even some of the night scenes that you see earlier in the movie don't look like that. It's not so so bold and really deadly and, and, but, and funeralistic. Like Evan mentioned, it's almost documentary-like. Because, you know, in documentaries, right, they have the only source of light is directly, like, with the camera. And mm-hmm. it, almost, it almost has that feel. Like, they are shining a light directly from the camera on these actors. And then everything else, because exactly. of that, is so high contrast pitch black. It's really, it really is incredible. I feel like you could do a dissection of, and, I, of course, we've, we've talked about we are not in film school. If anyone that's been to film school would like to tell us if you've done, like, a whole week on the final scene of Chinatown. I feel like you could. Uh, and I, feel I like would pay could. money to attend that class if, if it's just the final week of Chinatown. Yep, 100%. Um, um, and then Gone Girl is also a five. Um, for one reason and one reason only, there is a cut where Nick is leaning in to kiss Amy in the early stages of their relationship, and then it snaps to Nick in the police station, pulling his head away after receiving a cotton swab in his mouth to test his DNA. And to, co- to collect his DNA. And it's, <laughs> I had never noticed it before. I saw it this time. I like played it back three times. My jaw dropped. I was like, this is the most like like jokey, but also like vile thing. <laughs> like I can imagine like to, to match those two things up. Um, and with the NPH scene, the way that the camera like flashes on and off, basically, which is more of a it's more of a cutting and editing choice. But you still have to 
film it. You still have mm-hmm. to be able to frame it and say, okay, she's going to be on top in this frame. It's going to be a shot of her choking him. It's going to be a close-up on her face, and then it's going to flash, right? Um, that was, I'm sure that was all storyboarded and planned ahead of time. Um, and I think it's it's unforgettable. Yeah, amazing. All right. So through three categories, <laughs> we're halfway there, folks. 45 points, perfect score. Now, Evan, hit us with your scores for acting. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is the this is the easiest, I think, of the entire group. Um, fives across the board. Uh, uh, not everyone in both of these movies is perfect. That's not exactly what I'm saying. But the highs are so high in these movies. It is... Uh, it's truly remarkable, and and I think the easiest place to start is with Chinatown, and I can definitely start with other like Faye Dunaway, incredible. Like the the depth to her character, the way she is able to hold back throughout the movie, and then that release at the end is just so heartbreaking. I, I feel like she just has you bought in so much to her character, and then John Huston just playing like the biggest shitbag in the entire world, and his choice to play it with a, a full-on smile basically the whole time is just oh. amazing. And I I would love to know, I, I'm sure that there's stuff written about it, but I'd love to know whether that was found out kind of during table reads with like Polanski and the other actors or, or how they came to that conclusion to read almost every word that he says with with a, that shit-eating grin. Um, great stuff. And then like People obviously like- Nicholson. People like Houston wouldn't do that role. People of that stature wouldn't do that role anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you would get somebody to play that role that was like as well renowned and known. I feel like you'd have to have like somebody that is a like reputation for playing actors that are a little more seedy. I feel like these days. Uh, yeah, I mean that character is so far beyond from the way the movie paints them, even to me is like an Anton Chigurh or something, you know, like that, this character is irredeemable through and through. And there is no explanation for it other than greed. Yeah. There is no, like the line, the line he says, what most people don't want to admit is that under the right circumstances, they're capable of almost anything. Almost anything. What the fuck? It's like, in response to basically him being like, I know you raped your daughter. And he's like, what you need to understand is like most people would in the right situations. It's just so fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not good. Not good. And and I'll let you guys take Nicholson. I mean, he he's incredible. Like I said, that type of guy that they basically created with this movie would not be possible without him. And that manic energy, I mean, that's one of the biggest differences between these two movies is like the manic energy that's at the center of Chinatown because of the way that Giddy's operates um, and and what Nicholson <laughs> pumps into him. I mean, even when he's just like tricking cops into letting him, you know, go down the reservoir or something, he is like almost like half insane the entire time. And it's it's amazing, super funny too. And yeah. Gogro, I feel like I feel like we've we talked about it before. It's a five. Like I think it's it could be argued that it's Affleck's best role. I think he's amazing in this movie. Um, I think it's actually a, a really subtle role. He holds a lot back as well. I think a lot of the mystery from this movie comes from how well he acts the first half of the movie um, and, and just kind of doesn't let you read almost anything on him, And which is, I feel like, a little bit of the commentary considering he's one of the most accessible 
people of the last 30 years, right, in pop culture. Right. Um, but so good, and those little smiles that he has. And and I think this Rosamund Pike performance is, is amazing. I, Emily and I were going back and forth a little bit when we were watching it. She she was going back and forth about whether Rosamund Pike was consi- like was hot or should be considered hot. I said yes. She wasn't so sure. Uh, uh, I mean, I the think evilness the, helps. I, it, it works on us guys though, like that the evil right. of her character is attractive. I, I think I, they try her best, the best to make her not attractive, like in the trailer park sequences. You mm. know, she's got like the, you know, she's yeah, got no makeup on. She's got her hair like kind of homemade cut. Um, yeah, they try, they try, they can't hide it. Yeah. And NPH um, is like not having it. He's like, right. He's like, maybe you'll feel better when you're hot again. I need Amy Dunn back. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, um, but I actually really love – she is doing a very intentional, like, whispery New Yorker thing in this movie. She's almost doing, like, a bit. But I think it works perfectly because I think it's why everyone sees kind of right through her shit a lot, especially when it comes to her interacting with, like, quote-unquote, like, more common folk out there in uh, in um the trailer park. Yeah, 100, 100%. Um, all right. I mean – they're both fives for me as well. It's like, is it a question at this point? Uh, I want to talk about Jack. The fact that he didn't, I don't know who won best actor this year, but the fact that Chinatown only won one Oscar, mm-hmm. only won a single Oscar for screenplay, which it deserved to win for screenplay. But the fact that Nicholson didn't win, I think it's, I think it's one of the best performances of all time. It's so, it is big and it's like a leading man performance, but it is so nuanced. And you could see like his emotions and like what he's running through. And, and I think back to where we were talking about a little bit about how these two leading characters kind of have something in common is like they are figuring things out. But what I love about Giddy's is they don't make him like the smartest man in the room always, right? He's always jumping to conclusions and often they're wrong. And he eventually figures it out, but it's once he's like gotten a lot of things wrong. And I mm-hmm. love that about this character is he is like wants to make the decision. He wants to make the, you know, not the arrest, but he wants to make the like, all right, I fi- All right. I figured it out. Like now let's let's go. Like I'm going to I'm going to make sure this is done and finalized. He wants this finality to it, um, which I think like can be compared a little bit with Affleck's character in the way that he's he's being outsmarted, but he's not stopping to try to figure it out. Um, it's, it's really interesting. I think, yeah, I think you could, if you're just going to say just on the two like leading performances, and I would say like that's Nicholson and, and Rosamund Pike for me, it's arguably like two of the best performances ever. I think Pike is un unbelievable, unbelievable. And she's so terrifying, um, but reserved. And then, you know, what is there more to say about, about Nicholson and then the two people they're a part of Dunaway and, and uh, Affleck are also just spectacular. So I think based on the leads alone, it's gotta be fives. I think there are some people on the fringes of this movie that uh, aren't great. I will say though, I used to hold the opinion that Houston wasn't that good in Chinatown and I've completely changed it around. I think he's like spectacular. I used to feel like that kind of like smiley. It's like, Oh, he's maybe in a bit of a different movie. Like he's not like, it's the tone's not quite there, but it's almost like Jokerish. He's like he's so villainous. It's every does everything with a smile on his face. Even the way he goes, Mister Gitz, 
instead of Giddy's mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just amazing. Is just amazing. And uh, by the fifth time he's done it, it's like, okay, you're doing this on purpose. Yeah. You're just <laughs> an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Chip, tell us they're both fives. Um, yeah, they're both fives, I think. Um, okay. So, yeah, uh, Houston is just unashamed in his villainous ways, uh, and that's what makes it incredible. Um, Nicholson, you're right that he is manic, but he also speaks pretty slowly in a lot of this movie, which I really, really like. It works really well, even if he is raising his voice or saying something that is a bit absurd or, you know, lying his way through uh, to get out of another situation. He can still like slow down his his tone, uh, which I think plays really well and makes you on the edge of your seat for what his character is going to say. The way he goes dead eyed in that final shot of the movie um, looking at her dead body brain spilling out of fade done away um and he is just vacant right he is he's shocked he's never shocked in this movie he's like oh i know la i know the the evilness of these people i'm prepared for all sorts of twists um but he he's it's almost like he's gone dead inside for a moment and you know it's jack giddies he's going to recover from it um but that stark light on his face that we talked about illuminates just how empty his eyes are and i don't know how you do that as an actor i don't know how you tap into that uh, it's not the only time nicholson's done it but it still blows me away every time obviously faye dunaway is is unbelievable she really has to go go through a lot of shit her character has to uh, kind of goes through helen back and has also in the past gone through helen back and she has to wear that she has to like let it come out slowly you know, the way that she smokes a cigarette when she talks about her father for the first time and she's already got one going, you know, you feel that nervousness and you you feel that pain. And it's it's a harrowing performance. I don't again, I the same with Nicholson. I don't know how you do that as an actor. I don't know how you tap into that, what you have to pull out of your personal life even to, to bring that to the screen. I could it's have done it's it. unbelievable. I could you could have done, done it. If only I was the age of. of uh, well, you got it, it, it about. It's about the accent. Is what it is. The accent's the only thing I couldn't have done. It's uh, really the only thing holding you back. Um, and then uh, also, I don't know who plays Curly <laughs> in Chinatown, but that guy eats. A lot of guys. A lot of guys <laughs> just eaten. Uh, Mulhavi, Mulhoney, whoever the uh, like security head of security for the Water Commission. He's doing great. Uh, honestly, yeah. Polanski is pretty bad in his performance, which. Uh, is, any anytime I can call Polanski bad is great. Uh, cause so bad. Really the worst just, shot of the movie too is the close up of his face. Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, Gone Girl is also a five. Um, Affleck is so dumb. And again, you want to talk about pulling on real life experiences. Uh, Affleck's a bit of an airhead, and he bring he brings that to the screen uh, with with a with a flair, if you will. Um, how hard is that to do for him? I don't know. How hard is it to pull on a Mets hat for him? It seems like it was pretty hard to get, get to that place. Uh, but when he pulls on that Mets hat, it's like, all right, there you are. There you are, buddy. Um, so good. Rosamund Pike. She's good. I don't I don't know if she's great. What? She's good. She's good. I. She is good. But at some point, the you? flat, breathy... Um, very calculated monotone. It's obviously in- it's it's obviously intentional. It's a character choice she's made. It's what Fincher wants her to do. It's speaking to her sociopathic nature. At some point, it doesn't quite hook me the same when oh. she is speaking the same frequency over and over again. It's still good. Don't get me wrong. She's it's an unbelievable, like bad guy sociopath 
um, fucked up person that intrigues me, intrigues me immensely in so many ways. Uh, but it loses the voice in particular loses a little bit of a hook for me. At some that, point. by the way, that's that, per- that performance is so amazing. And if you want to point to any scene in particular, it is the scene, the interrogation scene. Uh, and it reminds me so much of basic instinct, uh, when everyone's crowded around and she's, mm. you know, she's sitting down, it's obviously different circumstances. She's not like in a powerful suit. Um, you know, like in Basic Instinct and and standing there directing. But like the way she responds to some of these questions and, and just how manipulative she is. She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then she's like, oh, OK, like I need to be done. And they're like, oh, excuse me, one more thing. Oh, no. Um, can we just exactly. go? Like, can we, like, she may not be using the power of her body like Sharon Stone is in Basic Instinct, but she's still completely in charge of the conversation. Yeah, and she she's going any way she wants. Yeah, I think I think that like that breathiness and that the way that she's acting everything out is just part of like her acting to the world, almost like her character acting as well, because I don't like, I think you hear the real her in the monologues and she doesn't talk like that in the monologues as much. Like there's a, there's a sharpness, there's a fierceness to the way that she speaks in those monologues, like those voiceovers that I think informs that it is like a distinct character choice that everything she is like saying the way she's speaking is acting because even towards the end once the veil is down between her and um and nick like it's like you were amazing out there the what like the way she says that to him when they get home and he's like what the fuck like what's wrong you know Mm. like what's wrong with you and she's like that's the that's the person i married like that's the person that excites me that's not breathy and that's not hushed tones I think once it is, once it, I think it's. A bit. I, I really do think Affleck laps her. I think that's my take. I, I think Affleck is like just like being himself. There are times where I'm like not even sure if he's actually acting. I think like where I'm just like he's just sitting there, being his himself. And maybe that's just how good he is. Is it a hot take for me to say like that scene that you guys are just talking about is like so bad? It's just like the one of it's that terrible scene. Which one? Really. The, the scene of her in the hospital. It's like just ridiculous. Out. Like that I almost brought it up in the story just because I, I just again, like the tenth time watching it, I'm just like, this scene is so bad. And like for a movie that it I do feel is really smart, it's just like that's just kind of it. Like that's that's all the explanation that we get for like whether anyone is just gonna like question the story at all or uh, and she's sitting there covered in blood. I don't know. Just yeah, I think the point about of the scene like, is really? to. I think the point of the scene is to like prove that she is still manipulative and can still control the story, and also that the people investigating are morons and don't know what they're doing. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of political stuff going on in this movie. Fincher's got a lot of thoughts on cancel culture. Um, and on abuse in these stories of men and women, and he said, she said stories. Uh, you know, this this movie puts forth a certain viewpoint uh, that's much less trusting of of anyone. I think both men and women. It's just it's it's distrustful of uh, humankind and what people um, are saying about the experiences that they've gone through. And it's trying to speak to something larger. But I do agree that it is like you're you're taking. It, Fincher's trying to take one, this one little scene and apply it to a lot of things. Um, and it's a bit tough to do that. Have you ever fucked on Coke, Nick? Um, yeah, that scene is that wow. scene is good. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't agree that it's a bad scene, but 
I will extend an olive branch to you by uh, allowing you to to give your scores for overall feel first. I will. I, I sorry. I have one more actor take. Uh, Carrie Coon is unbelievably unbelievable. Good. Yes. Oh, the other the other person I wanted to shout out. Sorry, James Hong, who plays Khan, uh, Evelyn's butler in, um, in Chinatown. Just incredible. Oh. Like absolutely incredible yes. and uh, incredibly prolific character actor in the history of Hollywood. Um, and that's the youngest I've seen him in a, yeah. in something. He's yeah. going. He's going to bat for. He's going to bat for. Someone needs to be in her corner. Someone needs to be in Faye Dunaway's corner. And I'm glad. It, I'm glad it was him. Yeah, and he's the he's the dad in Kung Fu Panda, which is amazing. That you know, yeah. provides us so much. The um, Noodle Dream. Yeah, incredible. Um, <laughs> noodle Dreams. Shout out to House of the Dragon. Um, <laughs> all right, overall feel, Evan. Um, I'm going Chinatown ten. I. I think having that, and you're talking about the Oscars a little bit, Chinatown with Giddies and Godfather 2 um, with Corleone at that time, ha- having both of those guys on the screen at the same time, like, I'm not sure why it doesn't get more credit for, you know, everything that came with closer to, like, the 80s, 90s, 2000s with Tony Soprano and all those characters. There's a lot made about the anti-hero and stuff, and they're anti-heroes in different ways. Like, Giddy's isn't a horrible guy. Like, he's not killing anyone or anything, but he's definitely not trying to be, like, anyone's moral compass. Uh, he he's he despises the ultimate powers, you know, exerting that power over people in ways that hurt them. But in the, any individual interaction, he's more than happy to pop up. He's more than happy to try to step outside with the guy who's talking a little shit in the, uh, in the barber chair, right? Like, this isn't exactly the guy who you'd necessarily want to model your behavior after. Um, and I just love that it, it, it does that so well and seems so fresh in doing it um, while also telling that classic story that I think we all love that that's just kind of that like ultimate mystery that we have to get to the bottom of. So definitely 10 there looks beautiful. Sounds amazing. Whew. And then this is where I got to make some decisions. Um, Gone Girl, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a nine with Gone Girl. It it is so well acted. It looks amazing. It sounds amazing. It's a great movie. It's one that I return to a lot. Is it an absolutely perfect movie? I don't know if I'm quite there. I don't know if I'm quite ready to say it's perfect. It is a little bit like lots of of kind of murder mystery type movies can be. Gets a little messy in a couple of places. There's a couple of times you could say like, wait. Why couldn't they just watch the tape there? Like, wait, I thought he'd already said that to this person over here, but it's okay. And I think part of that is because of the way it intercuts. It never feels too glaring. Like you're like, oh, I really have to have some suspension of belief to to still buy into the story. You still buy in. Um, but there are a lot of moments where 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 he's kind of saying, you have to let me play with you a little bit. And, and we kind of have to trick ourselves a little bit as we go. Um, so it, I just don't know if it's an absolutely perfect movie. I'm going nine. Uh, I have the exact same scores for basically the same reasons. Chinatown is as perfect of a movie as is possible to exist on on screen. I think if you're like gun to my head, name three perfect films. I think I'm saying uh, Casablanca. I'm saying Godfather 2 and I'm probably saying Chinatown. Is like infallible 
like you can't pick out something that's wrong with it. Um, and Gone Girl's amazing, but I agree it's not infallible. It's not in that it's not in that category yet. Um, uh, so nine out of ten. Uh, Chip, what about you? Yeah, I mean the thing with Gone Girl is Fincher has at least three movies that are better, so it has to be a nine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again, I think there's a couple things with the Pike performance that this particular watch I was like, hmm, we're still doing we're still doing this, okay. Um, there's a couple of moments where I do feel like it drags a little bit, which is that's the crazy thing to say for a Fincher movie too, because that guy will whittle things down and he will cut and he will cut and he will cut. Even if the movie yeah. is long, he is still going to be as precise and efficient as possible. So for a couple of things that feel like they drag, I'm like, okay, I know how you operate Fincher, so that leaves a bit of a different taste in my mouth. Um, but it is still a fantastic movie, and it's a movie that. I was thinking a lot more this time about how much, like, Amy's childhood affects her decision-making and how much of the amazing Amy storyline, how much of, you know, being in the spotlight from a child and having to live up to a fictional standard affects, like, how she treats other people. And I think that's that particular, like, trauma and is another element of that, you know, fame and celebrity that Fincher is focusing on. And we look at that a lot more with Affleck, especially considering the real-life implications there. But child, like, it's almost a commentary on like child movie stars, right? Mm-hmm. And how they are affected and how they, you know, lash out and respond to different things. Um, I'd also forgotten about like everything that happens with the um, fault. Uh, I think we can under we understand it to be this false rape accusation that she makes against uh, one of her exes, and that's it's really hard to swallow. Like that that that's almost like the most her- like fucked up thing from the movie that Amy Dunn is is cult mm-hmm. is is uh does essentially so um but anyway that's a nine and chinatown is at 10 i mean come on what like what do you want me to say what do you want me to say so chinatown uh nicholson gets nominated but he goes up against pacino and dustin hoffman and then they both end up losing to uh carney what's his, what's his name art carney for harry and tonto right but it's the mm-hmm. same year as godfather 2 mm-hmm. it's an that's unbelievable best actor category right and neither yeah. of Neither Pacino nor Nicholson win. Hoffman doesn't win. Albert Finney doesn't win. It's Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Um, so there's like, your there's a comparison with Godfather two and perfect movies, but yeah, yeah. Um, I I wanted in overall feel. I had to bring up one thing. I, I promised Emily she was engaged and wanted me to bring up one thing. When Amy Dunn is at Desi's place and he he you know asks her to freshen up a little bit and it seems to take her a couple of days, but then she kind of comes up with her plan. And gets all dressed up. And we had a real problem with the fact that she suddenly went from like the gas station haircut to like a perfect bob. She was just like, that is salon quality coloring that so, she has in her hair. So my thought was he gives her some hair dye, right? But I almost like in my head, I almost think he's he brings someone in. Like he's so rich that he brings someone in to get her hair done. I don't think Amy would let him do that. She's like the most She's like supposedly on every TV in the nation, yeah. uh, according to David Fincher and this movie, every single TV in any bar and restaurant has to sound full volume <laughs> blasting this lady's face. The only <laughs> thing I've seen comparable to that anywhere is when I was traveling in Ireland with my with my dad uh, and my uncle. Every pub that we went into, every TV was playing the Rose of Tralee, which is like a it's essentially like a Miss Ireland competition but it's for people of Irish descent, like from all around the world. So there's like a, 
like a rose of relief for like San Francisco of like some girl that's like from San Francisco, but she's of Irish descent. But every single place we walked into, it was on every single TV. Everyone was watching it. Man, woman, child, like a beauty pageant. Wow. And that's the only time I've ever seen anything comparable where it's like the eyes of a nation are are on are the on. The only this thing I can think of is like, like I'm sure 9/11 this happened, but yeah. I don't I don't really remember that that much. Um, maybe like the Boston Marathon bombing. I feel like that was pretty wall to wall for like a day. Yeah, like that's like one day. You know, we're talking about like a month of like nothing else. Yeah, like I one of my favorites is the final scene with Tyler Perry. They're sitting in a restaurant. They're like 20 tables away from the TV and it's just playing like full volume at their table with like talking Mm. about the aftermath of like, you know, Amy Dunn being home and like showing her getting out of her car, like some TMZ style video. It's so funny. The other thing about the that like end thing is when they do the you know they do the after interview with the girl that was basically just uh you know besmirching Nick the whole oh, time. Oh yeah. The... Um, and they tell like she says that like she's pregnant and it's just like would America be happy? <laughs> you know, like that this couple's having a baby. Like when they're like their infidelities, their like their huge issues. The fact that she was she was raped like weeks prior to announcing that she's pre- like would that be something that would cause people joy or concern that was something i mean that fincher's I got a pretty low i think there's a commentary who are watching this kind of shit yeah so. <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah no i agree it seems a little bit out there but that definitely seems like that's well, part of his commentary i hadn't thought about it but in her monologue amy's like there's nothing america loves more than a pregnant woman yes yeah, yeah. so it's probably trying to connect back to that oh man all right we're at the final category, legacy, the bonus points. First, let's talk about Gone Girl. Um, I'm proposing eight points. That would give it a total of 95. It would put it, I think, in like the top five movies that we've ever done in a versus. And I think like we've litigated like versus is also about who you go up against. Um, but I think the legacy of this movie like stands to deserve like eight points. I think you're right. There are three Fincher movies that are better. But I also think this is beyond Fincher. You know, this was a cultural phenomenon. This uh, this movie was so I 100%. I, I really think that it, it deserves eight. What do you guys think? That the fact that it is such a cultural phenomenon also make it almost makes me feel like it deserves a nine. Okay. I don't think that. I mean, I would even say that I'm not sure if Zodiac has a nine. Zodiac might have like an eight in terms of legacy because I mean, outside of like you know people who really love movies i don't know how much zodiac lives on right the cool girl monologue goes viral on twitter every two weeks yeah you know i i I really think that like so many people have a relationship to the character of amy dunn for various reasons and i think that like you know it's it's it gets lumped in with like quote-unquote red flag movies but like the bros love it too right it's not just that like you know, it's not just good for her cinema, right? The dudes love Gone Girl, and they're they're for the most part they're all in on like how much of a psychopath Amy is. Yeah, I'm in for nine. That gives it 96 points. You good with that, Evan? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a high score, but I think I think it's I think it's worth it because we're kind of watching the Ben Affleck renaissance that happened there. This was a massive part of that. I, I remember that back then. The Renaissance. Yeah, like, and and he wasn't fully out of the out of the weeds at this point, but 
Um, I mean, we've reached basically the the peak of it now. I, we're we're fully benefited. Kind of have. I mean, but he he this movie like seemed to like almost make him mega famous for another generation. It's like mm-hmm. it was possible that he could have just sort of slipped under. Like I don't. There, it's possible that there are some younger people, younger people than us, that like don't have a huge relationship to modern day Matt Damon. Is is that would that be fair to say? Like probably the way that they would to Ben Affleck. And I think he's made right. amazing movies. People who know movies at all wouldn't say that because yeah. of. But is he the guy that was in like The Martian to them? You know. Right, and even that's a good example. I mean, that's very pop poppy movies. So he he. They probably would know him from that, but yeah, or, or but, oh, it's the guy with the cameo in Thor Ragnarok. He is he is cameo yeah, friendly true. these days, you know. I mean, outside the of the Martian, you look at the last ten years, and it's not quite the same. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, except for, I, except nine, for his nine greatest cool. film, Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, Ford v I mean, Ferrari is good. great for people like us and for like forty-five-year-old men. You yeah. are welcome here. You are a 45-year-old man. Welcome. Thank it you made some it. money, right? Ford v. Ferrari? Yeah. You probably gave it some money. I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture, right? Yeah, it made but, like, again, that is, that's a certain demographic. Yeah. Yeah. Ben that's Affleck. That demographic is God, me. but now I'm looking. The Last Duel is good, too. Okay. <laughs> I, I take it back. Ben Affleck is great, still. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying that he wasn't good, but I, I think the original point like was just their level of fame is a little bit different for people like under 22 probably yeah and i think too like i think the level of fame any movie star has is is probably less than it was like because we're not in the people magazine era anymore right he's like prime tabloids famous Um, you know like timothy chalamet is like famous but is he ben affleck brad pitt level at the height of like people magazine famous i don't think so because i think there are more people that are like diverting that away you know like all the tiktokers and shit like that and i feel a thousand the way i just said that all yeah the, all the TikTokers. all the tiktokers yeah all the tiktokers that was a tough, how do you do was, fellow kids i mean i know i have a second kid on the way that's pretty funny is uh it is is rosamund pike's post 2014 life like maybe uh like chip redeemed territory I mean, she hasn't I, I, made I'm a not lot saying of, there are great parts out there for, yeah. you know, I don't know. Uh, did you guys watch I Care A Lot? Because that was bad. I, I did watch it. And it was very much, like, crafted around her. Yeah, um, it's like, hey, you're the cool girl, so yeah. you need to, like... And she's, like, hitting a vape pen, and it's weird. Bad yeah. sunglasses. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird filmography. I, I, her uh, best performance is Pride and Prejudice. Oh, she's very good in that. Wow. For um, sure. All right. Jack Reacher heads. 96 points for Gone Girl. Let's talk about Chinatown. Are we going to do it? Is it going to be the first ever movie with a perfect score in a versus? I think it has yeah. to be. How is the legacy of Chinatown not a 10? Okay. So do we need to make the argument? We, I mean, we've, the, we have the argument really... because Roman Polanski is... I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, how are you talking about Annie Hall? Just, like, nothing has tarnished this movie's legacy. It's perfect. So, I guess you're right. I do, I I feel like that affects other Polanski movies a little bit more. I think that it affects, like, movies like Rosemary's Baby a little bit more for Mm. Polanski, right? Where that gets overshadowed. Now, obviously, Chinatown is still dealing with kind of this um, 
these really fucked up people and these really yeah. fucked up sexual relationships and rape, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I really feel like Chinatown somehow is able to transcend mm-hmm. the Polanski. We're just talking about the impact of the movie itself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I, I just. That you don't see a lot of just like outrage and fist shaking at mm-hmm. people who love this movie, right? And it's not like I, agree. I don't know. I don't feel like people who are like, oh, you love Chinatown, then you endorse Polanski. There's just right. that people have been able to. Maybe I'm giving people too much credit. David Fincher wouldn't want me to give people this much credit, but I think that people have been able to separate art from artist with Chinatown specifically. I also mm-hmm. think that's fair. It's hard to overstate when you like you know, stand up when you graduate from being like, I like movies to like, Hey, I'm a cinephile or I love film, you know, let's, I want to learn as much as I can. Like people will say, have you seen, like, you have to watch Chinatown. Like, have you seen China? It is like this, one of the seminal, like up there, right. Mm-hmm. With like with Godfather two, as like this, an era, de- like era defining film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's and on the I'll, short list yeah. for like America. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's on the, it's, it's one of the, the 10 great American films. You think? Probably. I, I think like film historians would definitely say that, right? Whether it's on any individual person's like top 10, like I, I feel like its impact is pretty the, great. The 10 great American films, according to Flicking Screaming, Lady yeah. Bird, Ocean's 11, Cars 1, 2, and 3. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That would actually be a fun exercise. The ten greatest American films. See if we could like litigate that. I don't think we could. But I don't think we could either. I think we'd always be missing something. And yeah. I'm not that smart. I will. I I feel like to to make a claim for that might put me on a pedestal that my ego doesn't need to be at. I wonder if anyone's that smart. I think there's a lot of people that think they're smart enough to try. But maybe that's what makes this podcast great. Is is we know that we aren't smart enough to try. Um, or maybe Looking we're smart- screaming. We aren't smart enough to try. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, hundred points. All right. God damn. Damn. I had a feeling when you would, when you kind of threw it out there, I was like, man, I remember this movie being pretty great. And then I watched it and I was like, I think this movie's perfect. I was up last night late because I finished this movie at like nine. And then I literally was like, man, we're going to give this a perfect score, aren't we? Yeah. And it was, it was weighing heavy on my head, first ever. And that doesn't come lightly. I mean, we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations to Chinatown. Great job. Good showing from Gone Girl. Yeah, good, great showing from Gone Girl. Really held its own. I mean, mm-hmm. I, think, I think Fincher would be proud. Uh, all right. Stuff coming up. Moving forward. Uh, if you haven't heard, I'm having another baby. Uh, my wife is having Woo-hoo. is having the baby. Um, I'm gonna go on a, a a slight hiatus paternity leave once baby shows up, and when I get back, we're gonna do a mailbag episode. Um, everything is on the table, you know, nothing is is off limits. Ask us whatever you want. If we think your question's a little bit too crazy, we just probably won't answer it. But um, please send your questions in to flickingandscreaming at gmail.com or on Twitter DMs. Um, we're just gonna compile a bunch of questions from now until. I come back and uh, we're going to have a big blowout mailbag episode. So now is the time to ask whether or not Chip is a boxers or briefs guy. Um, I will also, never tell. 
please send some recs uh, for what you guys want us to discuss on the podcast. Had some uh, awesome conversations with some listeners on Twitter, like in DMs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would love to hear more opinions on like what you guys want to see us talk about moving forward. We got a lot of options, right? Do you want to talk about more you know, older movies? Like, are there any specific movies that are coming out? Uh, you know, that's on your radar that like, man, I would really love for them to, to talk about this. If so, put it on our radar. Um, yeah. and we would love Any to actors or directors you want us to break down. Like I'm open. Yeah. yeah 100%. Um, and then next week we got kind of another big one. We've been at, we've been kind of running and gunning a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, emptying the clip as they say, we're going to do a Clint Eastwood top five. And this will be the first top five where we have everything on the table, uh, directorial, uh, outings, uh, starring roles, and I think even production uh, outings. If we just double check the credits on that, you would you would hate to uh, think that he produced a movie that he did not produce. Yeah, it would be so out of care. It would be so out of character. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for next week's episode, though. Clint Eastwood uh, is a favorite. Was a favorite of my grandpa's, as I think he's a favorite of all of all grandpas, um, and and Fox News watchers, as my my late grandfather was. Um, Anything, anything to uh, to say before we hop off and uh, get ready to talk about the mayor of Carmel next week? I'll just look at what we've done to each other. Forget it, Chip. It's Chinatown. <laughs> Have a good one, everybody. See ya. And now the starting lineup for your tasters. What's up, guys? I got slacker. Envy. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.